All right, hello, hello, welcome, everyone. I'm keeping my water up here in case I get thirsty. Um, I just want to take a moment before I, I get going to uh, thank you to Dean Cawthon and, and the College of Business for this amazing opportunity that I've been given uh, to speak in front of you all today, and this is the incredible honor that I feel uh, to be up here on a stage where so many great disciples have stood. But before I really get into it, there's a few people that I would specifically like to thank and share the honor and weight of this award with. I'd first like to thank Dr. Pozzello, who has been my advisor and professor for nearly four years and has been a great example to me of a business person in Christ. I'd like to thank Dr. Chambers, who has been one of my biggest mentors at NU and who has helped me navigate not only classes, but my honors thesis and entrepreneurship club and life in general. I'd like to thank Dr. Thomas, who has turned the seemingly rigid topic of math into some of my fondest memories at Northwest University and who continues to show up for me no matter what the occasion. I'd like to thank Clint Bryan for who I could fill up an entire sermon alone with the things that he has taught me and who models for me what it looks like to be a lover of people. I'd like to thank Janae Ice for who has been one of the biggest role models to me over my time at NU and who has been a constant pillar of support through every imaginable season of my life. And lastly, I would like to thank Doreen Johnson who has transformed my life at NU, and to who I owe so much of not only what I've already been blessed with, but all the things that are good to come. So getting into it, uh, when I found out that I was given the opportunity to speak in chapel, my, my mind immediately just spiraled out of control. Um, I wanted to make sure I gave the most life-changing sermon that's, that's ever been given. I wanted to pick some random verse in Revelations or some verse that no one's heard about and dissect it and unpack it and blow people's minds. I wanted them to walk away from chapel thinking, wow, Jake's probably the greatest speaker I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> but after struggling with the weight of that and my perfectionism, I decided that's not what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna stand up here and do what I was asked to do, which is to share about what I've learned over the past couple years, to where, and to uh, share what's gotten me to where I am today as a Christian and what I've learned over my past couple years at Northwest University. I want to start off by telling a story, uh, and this is a story that's so core to who I am and so integral to myself as a Christian that it would be a disservice to God's plan for me not to share it with you guys this morning. Growing up, I was raised in a covenant church in Kent, um, aptly named Kent Covenant Church, and with that came a summer camp in Tennessee called Chick. So no, not Chick Chat, it is Chick, which stands for Covenant High Schoolers in Christ. Uh, is there any chance that anyone went to a chick summer camp? Besides Hannah, of course. No one? Well, I know where assembly's a god, but I thought I might as well try. Um, but for a week straight, they had these main stages events. And so they had nightly speakers and, and games, and there was thousands of people. Um, and they had huge bands like Ren Collective and For King and Country and Lecrae and Andy Minio and David Crowder. And that was just like three nights worth out of a whole week. But I'll never forget the speaker that spoke on the last night. And his name was Pastor Albert Tate. He touched on Matthew 5, 14 through 16, which reads as this. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He told us this story, which is a story that has been passed on from his friend, down to him, down to me, and now on to you guys. 
This is what he said that night, word for word. And this is a story that changed my perspective of what it means to be a Christian. Again, this is word for word what he says. A friend of mine, Danielle Strickland, tells this story. She travels across the world, used to work with the Salvation Army, amazing speaker, but goes to some dark places that most folks never even think to go. And she cares about people that most folks tend to look over, and she tells about this dark place on the other part of the world in a neighborhood that's just been taken over. The part where kids and families used to gather now got needles and drug paraphernalia all over it. And she tells this story of some little Bible study right there in that bad neighborhood where everyone else was moving out. And all the bad people were just left there. And she said, now God's got a purpose for these people, and we're going to stay here. And so they started a little Bible study, and one of the guys in the neighborhood got saved. Never knew the name Jesus, never knew about the Lord at all, and his name was Robert. Robert said yes to Jesus, and Robert was like a new Christian. He's reading stuff, and he's just passionate, and he's excited about everything he's diving into. And I'll never forget. She told me they're sitting there, and Robert got to the passage where it said that we are the light of the world. And after Robert said that, he said, we are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. And then Robert jumped out out of the seat and took off running, running down the street. We are the light of the world. And we're looking at each other like, uh, who's, who's going to go after Robert? Danielle says that she got voted to go after Robert, and, and she finds him standing in the infested park with, with drugs and needles and gangs. And she said she found Robert standing there with his arms up, breathing heavy. She comes up, and she's like, Robert? And he goes, yeah, that's me. And she says, what are you doing? He says, I'm being the light of the world. Can you feel the darkness tremble? That line, this is me talking now, not, not uh, Albert Tate, but that line alone, single-handedly, shaped me more than anything I've ever experienced in my entire life. Can you feel the darkness tremble? Now, I know what everyone is thinking right now. They're all incredibly proud of me. They're thinking, wow, he did it. Jake really did it. He got through an entire five minutes without referencing the office. <laughs> but I'm sorry to disappoint you. It's coming. One of the most iconic lines in the greatest show ever made is said in the finale by Andy Bernard of all people. And you might know where I'm going with this, but if you're not, or if you don't, then you're in for a treat. But he says, I wish there was a way to know we were in the good old days before we've actually left them. And as great as I think that line is, I never related to it. I know I'm in the good old days. I'm so grateful for the movie nights I shared with the guys on my floor and our weird movie selection rituals and, and the pickup ultimate frisbee games almost every day my freshman year and constant Domino's pizza nights that we would eat way too early at the cafe and then be starving by bedtime and just had to get some Domino's for $6. I'm going to miss walking to class and waving at everyone as I, as I walk down campus and I'm thankful for the playlist, for the playlist of songs that I created just for that walk that I have up from the airy to Barton or Pakoda with my raspberry lemonade smoothie in my hand. I'm going to miss seeing my best friends every day. And apparently, as of today, I'm going to miss the Frisbee golf course on campus. Rest, rest in peace. 
As excited as I am to graduate, and regardless of the amount of stress that I've had over the past few months, and will have over the next couple of weeks, I'd stay in this exact moment forever, and as long as I could, if I had the choice. But that's not what God's calling me to do. Albert Tate, the speaker mentioned earlier, also shares this. He says, here's the mistake we make. That light ain't for us. The light is for the world. Do you know what happens when all the light comes together? If all the light gets together in one room, then we all go blind, and we wonder why Christians can't see. No, no, we gather together in the huddle, but in a few hours, we're going to say, ready, break. And then we go out, and we're going to disseminate the light of God through every corner of the world so that people who are lost might be able to see the power of the light of God. My time at NU has been the greatest pit stop slash launch pad slash pregame warm-up of my entire life, but that's exactly what God meant it to be. These last few years have given me incredible responsibilities to steward, and I know that he used each and every one of them to shape and mold me into who I am today. Now, don't get me wrong, I know I have lots of growing to do, but it would be an awfully big shame for anyone to walk away from their time at NU and not see the ways that God grew them. If we are the light of the world, just like Tate said, then chapel gatherings and church services are some of the brightest places. But I see too many Christians taking their candle to church with them just to put it back in their closet when they get home until next week's service. Jesus directly tells us that we are the light of the world, not the light of our house, not the light of our church friend group, not the light of our dorm hall. Our light is not meant to be contained or limited and God never intended that. In John 8, 12, Jesus tells us, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Tyler Kite spoke last Friday and gave an incredible sermon about the intentionality of Jesus' words. And following along with what he said, I believe there's no coincidence or, or accidental phrases that Jesus used. And it's no coincidence that Jesus tells us that he is the light of the world, and separately in a different verse that we are too. Now, I'm not trying to say that we're just like Jesus, but after all, what was the point of his mortal humanity if not to show us how to live our own lives? What can we learn from Jesus' willingness to go to the darkest corners of the world to shine his own light? Being the light of the world is not calling a moth to a flame. It's interesting to see the way that the Bible constantly uses the light analogy to illuminate. And yeah, that makes sense, duh, illumination, it's a light. But it's always illumination. It's never, it's never persuasion. It's never even guidance. It's just illumination. A candle in a dark room does not tell others to go to their chair or to their table or to their door. A candle in a dark room shows others the path to get there if they choose. Think about every story you've ever read about Jesus. Jesus modeled perfectly what it means to be the light of the world. He never forced anyone to do anything or made anyone feel guilty. I'm not a Bible scholar, so maybe he did, and I don't know, but 99.99%, if not all of his interactions with people, were about him showing others how to meet with God and be a Christian and nothing else. Psalm 119, 105 reads, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. 
God wrote the Bible not as Christian law, not as a history book, not as an entertaining read, but as a lamp for our feet. God himself has given us the greatest book of all time, and he calls it his light. And sometimes our own light flickers, and so we need a little jump start. But wicks cannot be lit by anything other than another flame. Sometimes we need to go to Jesus to relight our flame, who was described as a light in John 18, or John 8, 12, like I mentioned earlier. And sometimes we need to go to the Bible to relight that flame, which is described as a light in the Psalms verse I just mentioned. But sometimes when we're really worn out and we feel like all is lost, the light from each other is what we need. I am a, a huge believer that God works almost exclusively through relationships. The entirety of Christianity is full of examples about how God acts, or sorry, about how relationships act as vessels for God's word to his people. God sent his own son to earth to create personal relationships with us. The Bible, while guided by the divinity of God, was written by people for people. One of the most influential lines I've ever heard that I was just talking about with Albert Tate, he got that line from a relationship that he had with Danielle Strickland. Danielle got that from a relationship that she had with Robert. Robert got that from a relationship that he had with Matthew. Matthew got that from a relationship that he had with Jesus, and Jesus got that from a relationship that he had with God. When I pray for strength to get through a hard day, I don't get the immediate mind shift that changes my mood. I get texts from friends checking in on how I'm doing, or random encouragement from professors, or a call from my wife that we're having grilled cheese sandwiches for dinner. (laughs) Even this morning, last night, I was praying, praying for just peace, calmness, and strength as I go into the sermon. I woke up this morning to random encouragements from people both that knew that I was speaking and some people that had no idea I was talking today and still said, hey, I'm thinking of you today. Hope all is well. The greatest example of this in my own life comes from the day that my grandpa died. He passed away from a heart attack out of nowhere on a camping trip with my grandma. And so we drove a few hours to the campground. As soon, or we drove to the campground as soon as we got the news. I have never in my entire life felt a pain so hollow yet full at the same time. And I was an emotional wreck. I had never experienced the loss as great as that one in my life and I didn't know how to handle myself. And the campground that my grandparents were staying at was this half campsite, half hotel property, and when we got there, my grandma was with my other grandparents who had driven there to be there before we could. The night was a blur to me, but I remember this one man so vividly. He was this big, burly man with tattoos and piercings all over his body who worked at the campground. He came up to my family who was there and gave us each a room to stay in for free that night. He stayed the night with us and, and made sure we had blankets and pillows and, and enough space to sleep. He sat with us and made sure that we were cared for. He asked me to help him grab blankets, which he could have easily done himself, but he asked me to help him. When I was younger, I was really confused why he needed my help, but I was proud to help. Looking back on it, I realized he asked me. He asked me to help him so I could feel like I was taking care of my family and taking care of my grandma. You know, I am someone who struggled a lot with my faith when I was younger. And I wasn't someone who believed much in modern-day miracles. But I swear on my life, I believed in that moment when I was in the closet, helping him grab those blankets, I thought he was an angel. 
When he woke up the next morning, he was gone, and I don't remember his name, and I remember a blur of his face, but those actions sticked out with me more than anything I've ever experienced. Now, I don't know if he was an angel. I liked to think that he was. But now I like to think it's more special to think that he wasn't. He never once cited scripture. He never once mentioned the name of God or offered to pray with us. He never once talked about church or shared his faith. There was no indication that he was even a Christian. But he was the strongest example to me of what a Christian should be. He was the brightest light in my darkest moment. Now, I'm not saying that citing scripture is bad or praying for others is bad. That is not what I'm saying. I'm just offering a different lens. But I am saying that the actions you do speak louder than the words that you speak. That phrase is so cliche, but think about how it relates to your own life as a Christian following God in a dark world. Just last night in my project management class, we were talking about the difference between verbal and nonverbal cues. And while we were having that discussion, Ro comes in and has a chat with the professor about the ridiculously high percentage about how much of our, non, or how much of our communication is nonverbal. And while they were going back and forth trying to remember the exact number, I related it to the topic of being the light of the world. How much does God want us to be a light of the world by our nonverbal actions instead of just our words? I've always struggled with never having heard God's voice or, or seeing a miracle with my own eyes, but then I started to look at the relationships that God has given me in my life. While verticality and looking up to God is important in any relationship with him, these last few years have taught me how to look horizontally for him as well. God has given me incredible relationships in these last few years, and it wasn't until recently that I discovered just how perfectly placed these relationships were by God. It reminds me of that cheesy story uh, where the man is drowning in the ocean and three separate boats come to rescue him. You probably all know this one. To which he replies to each one, I don't need rescuing, I'm good, I prayed for God to come save me, go away. Yeah, well, he dies, we all know that. And he he gets to heaven and he says, God, why did you not save me? He says, I did, I tried, I sent you three boats. This modern day parable has been told a thousand times, but how many times have you prayed for something and not seen the way it's been answered? There have literally been times where I've been praying for financial stability, stressed out about paying for school, and I get a great scholarship. And then being prideful, I think, okay, I guess I didn't need God after all. I got it myself, I'm good. What? No, I am no better than that guy who drowned. As much as we like to make fun of that story and make fun, okay, well, obviously, I'm not gonna stay drowning if a boat comes. That's exactly what we do in smaller doses. Worshiping God through relationships is a very, very valid way to praise God horizontally. Now, I'm not saying that you should worship your roommates or worship your best friends, but it's important to notice the ways that God uses those relationships to answer prayers in ways that you might not have seen it. So what does all that mean for being the light of the world? Realizing the emphasis that God puts on relationships is crucial to understanding the ways that we can be that light to others. Being the light of the world is asking God not only to show himself to you, but to show himself through you. I'm gonna repeat that one more time because if there's anything you can get away from this entire sermon, speech, senior thing, it's this, this one sentence, being the light of the world 
is not only asking God to show himself to you, but to show himself through you. My favorite song lyric of all time comes from a Macklemore song named St. Ides. And in it, he says something that empowers me since I was a young high schooler hearing the words for the first time. It's short and it's sweet. But he says, I know the devil fancies me, but that doesn't mean he gets to dance with me. Just let that sit with you for a moment. Maybe it doesn't strike the same chord with you that it has with me. Or maybe it's something that in this moment fills you with a word of God from Macklemore of all people. I will admit I did take some choice expletives out of the verse, but the point still comes across the same. (laughs) But just the amount of stewardship that I'm reminded of in that verse. The idea of the devil fancying to tempt us because it is threatened by the pure good that it knows we are capable of. To stare evil right in the eyes and say, I know you fancy me, but I'm not going to let you dance with me because I'm going to make the darkness tremble. And it is tough knowing how to be that light. As a business student, I struggled with Matthew 19.24, in which Jesus literally tells his disciples that it is easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. How do I go to school for a degree in how to earn money while struggling with the guilt of feeling like my Christianity is wasted if I don't become a ministry major? This guilt ate me up so much that I literally scheduled a meeting with Dr. Bazell in my freshman year just to talk about this verse. But something that Northwest University has done so well over my time here is that spreading the light of the world to every corner of the globe has just as much to do with physical location as it has to do with the diversity of its people. Being the light of the world does not mean dedicating your life to standing on street corners with picket signs telling people to repent. Nor does it mean trying to convert every person you see to a Christian right then and there. It means taking the uniqueness that God gave you in your passions and in your interests and in your jobs and in your hobbies to truly spread the light of the world. Offices need that light. Clinics need that light. Restaurants need that light. Grocery stores need that light. Retirement homes need that light. Police stations need that light. There's there's no conceivable place you can name that I think God will say, yeah, they're good. They're good without me. Wherever you end up after college, please be empowered in knowing that you are the light of God, whether you went to school for it or not. Now, I don't have a job lined up yet. I say that as part of my sermon. I also am throwing that out there in case anyone has any good connections. <laughs> I'm good at math. Um, that's, that's it. I'm good at math. You can have my resume after if you want. And I have a passion, just as Dr. Pillow said, I have a passion for the homeless. And I can't say whether my upcoming position will have anything to do with that or not. I don't know if my, my next job is going to be helping the people in need in Seattle. And while my goal is to get to that eventually, I am no longer worried about the guilt of disappointing God if I don't immediately get a job serving the homeless population in Seattle. Because over these last few years at Northwest University, God has taught me how to be a light wherever I end up. And I know that wherever the future takes me, I'm going to make the darkness tremble. And you will too.